0: much for inviting me to come this uh, evening and share with you guys my experience, strength and hope. Um, I hope I get to uh, do justice, uh, seeing that I have a lot of friends from Sacramento. A couple of my sponsees are in the room, and uh, I'd like to welcome any newcomers. Uh, we didn't have anybody identify earlier, um, so I don't know if there's any newcomers in the room. Um, If you are here, I hope you get to hear something that'll keep you coming back. If you don't hear anything, uh, please go to a different meeting. Uh, We are living in the Zoom era now. You can go to meetings anytime, anywhere. Um, And my sincere desire is that if you are an alcoholic of our type, you suffer from alcoholism, I hope that you get to find a place, a meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous where you can identify and perhaps start building a little bit of hope uh, for yourself. Um, My sobriety date is July 5th of 1992. Uh, My home group is the Bellflower Big Book Group. we meet on Monday nights at 7.30. My sponsor's name is Sharon Brooks and I am current with her. And you know, for what that looks like is that I call her every day and um, she knows what my mental state is. She knows what my spiritual state is. My physical, if I'm sick, she gets to know if I'm sick, if I'm going into the doctor's office, why and uh, what kind of uh, prescriptions I'm given if, if that happens. So she knows she knows everything about me. I feel safe when somebody else knows everything about me. Um, I'm 28 years sober and I can tell you that I don't have it all together. Um, I don't know what you were expecting here tonight, uh, but I don't have it all together. Um, I think that I get to live one day at a time. I do the best that I can on a daily basis. Sometimes I fall short, and I am truly grateful that I not only belong to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I, I like to think that I'm in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what that looks like is that I'm accountable in all the meetings that I attend, I attend exactly the same meetings I attended before COVID. Uh, That's four times, four nights a week. Uh, And then sometimes on the weekend and whatever other uh, commitments I get to have. Um, And I'm accountable to the girls that I sponsor. Um, And and I like to say that out loud because I don't sponsor, I don't tell them what to do if I'm not doing it myself. That's very important for me. My home group is a beautiful, big home group. Uh, It's filled with a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm for sobriety and and living one day at a time uh, alcohol-free. You can feel the electricity in the air. I miss it very much. Um, I have no idea what you're gonna get out of me tonight. I'm hoping that I will talk about my drinking uh, because it is essential that in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, we get to share about our drinking um, and I hope I get to be sober and tell you how I'm living today. Um, but I got to tell you that my head is all over the place, you know, and it's been like that for the last few days. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to let go of old ideas. And so, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm telling myself and I'm telling the girls that I sponsor and I'm writing my gratitude list and everything is a-okay and, and it takes a little while for it to compute and and for me to be honest, right? To thine own self be true. And to be honest with you, sometimes I need my sponsor's input um, when it comes to that honesty, because sometimes either I'm taking my temperature every five minutes. How am I feeling? How am I feeling? I don't feel good. I feel this. I feel that. And that gets to be annoying, you know, and, and, or, or I don't know how to take my inventory, honestly. And uh, I went to a memorial this past Saturday and has kicked in grief uh again and if you know anything about grief um, you'll know that it comes in waves and it comes unexpectedly and uh, it brings back things that you normally don't think that they're going to be brought up and um and so the, the memorial that i went to was for a lady that i did uh retreats with we were in the same committee for years and it wasn't her lo- her loss that really got me in pain. It was the amount of ladies that were talking about her sponsorship. And it took me back when I lost my sponsor in sobriety. Um, I lost the apple of my eye about uh, 13 years ago. And, and it was like, boom, I was right there, you know, listening to everybody sharing about Colleen. I got to hear myself sharing about Lucretia and, um, and after Lucretia died, my mother died and my sister died and my dog died. And, and there was a series of losses and within four or five years. And, and I can tell you that I believe in my heart of hearts that grief have teeth. And, uh, and I, what that means is that, you know, it's just, it comes, it sneaks up. And that created a whole bunch of little emotional upheavals for me in the last couple of days. And uh, this morning was the very first morning that I kind of felt a little bit better. Um, And that's perfectly fine. I didn't have to take a drink over it. Um, I am at a stage in my life in sobriety that I don't necessarily go to the drink to fix me. And I'm very, very grateful for that. It wasn't like that in the beginning of my sobriety. Um, I come from a place where it's high drama, (laughs) my old idea, my old life bringing, you know, being brought up in the Latin home I'm, I'm originally I was born in Nicaragua and uh, we're full of drama. And so it's hard for me to sometimes let go of the drama, you know, I go I go there right away. So in my early sobriety, I just remember that anything that happened to me, it it was like, oh, you know, I'm going to drink and it was that terror. And uh, I'm very grateful and very privileged to be helping out a few ladies that are under a year. Um, they're like six months, five months, three months, no, two months, and one that's not 30 days yet. And she's not here, um, I wish she would have. Um, and, and so I'm really grateful that I get to, to do this over and over again via sponsorship. And I get to talk about when I was new and uh, one of the ladies is having problems, you know, she's thinking about drinking. And, um, and I don't know if anybody here, it's too bad that I don't see the faces of the majority of people in this meeting. Um, and, and I say that lightly. I don't mean to criticize. I know that it's, you know, you're probably still working uh, or whatnot. Um, I was guilty of that in early Zoom uh, times. I, I didn't like Zoom. I was afraid of Zoom. Um, I know that our anonymity has blown up to pieces, um, and I was hiding my picture in the beginning of COVID, you know, I, I um, for whatever reason, I told my sponsor I couldn't sit still, that I'm addicted to gum, and it looks terrible when you're in the screen and you're chewing or eating, zillions of, of reasons why I wouldn't show my face, and then I heard a, one of the members in our home group share that that was her commitment. You know, we don't have a lot of service commitments in Zoom. You know, there's a handful of you guys that are hosting the meeting and doing the work behind the scenes, but there's not a lot of commitments. And this lady shared um, at the home group that that was her commitment to be present in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous with her video on, you know. And, And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I can, like, not chew gum for an hour, you know, and I can try to sit still. And regardless if I work sitting down in front of monitors all day long, because um, that's what I did, you know, pre COVID anyway, you know, uh, worked all day and drive, you know, 40, 45 minutes and, and eat dinner in the car and then get to my meeting, you know what I mean. So it's like, I, I quit the whining, I quit the whining, and I started being present in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I can tell you that that completely changed my experience with you. You know, I I got to experience to be a little present, a little aware of what the speaker was talking about, and it's made a lot big difference for me. Um, This is not the ideal thing, you know. I'm grateful for Zoom, but it's not it's not what I'm accustomed to. Um, But it's all we have, and my golly, I'm gonna take it. If this is the only thing that I have to see your little faces, you know, we had our response meeting last night, and it was just so sweet to see everybody, you know, um, and we do this once a month, so I am grateful for Zoom, um, regardless. Enough of my rant. Let me let me get drinking here so you guys can believe a little bit of, of what I'm telling you. You know, I, I don't like going to meetings and never mentioning my drinking because it's like, you know, God, are you an alcoholic? Um, but um, I started drinking at the age of 16, and not because my life was over, and not because I needed to take a drink at 16 years old, um, but because my buddy Alex had a bottle of vodka, and I took a swig, and uh, man, all, all hell broke loose. You know, I, I completely love the effect produced by alcohol, but I also like the taste of alcohol. I like everything that goes with the drinking, you know? I like the glasses, I like the, so- the social events, the drinking and, you know, doing shots with one another and, you know, having parties in parking lots and, you know, carrying booze in my in the trunk of my car. And But, you know, at 16, I'm in high school, so what did I do? You know, I, I gotta tell you that I've been self-supporting and working my buns off since I'm 14 years old. Uh, so I had money to buy booze and I started standing in corners waiting for the older people, older I'm the older person now. Um, to buy me a, a bottle of uh, vodka, and I would have it in my locker in high school, and I would share it with my peeps because I'm a people pleaser and I want people to like me. And and I buy relationships. This was a a lot consistent in my inventories of drinking. You know, I bought I bought friendships. You know, I will pay, I will drive, I will provide everything. Come on down and and uh, a complete loser, you know, is what I, my inventory tells me that I was, um, and so I had a blast, you know, I, I love partying, I'm not a closet, stay home, you know, drunk, I, I like going places, I like bars, I like dancing, you know, I, I, I used to think that I'd be one of those girls that would walk into the nightclub, and you guys would stop doing what you were doing, and, you know, here I come, you know, this is something, and, uh, and I don't know, you know, I I just I make up a lot of stuff, you know, and, and so that in my head, I, I believe that that was was happening. And so I was on top of the world every time I drank. I, uh, I was very poor. I lived in downtown L.A. with my mother and uh, she babysat 12 kids at any given time. And I would get 20 bucks and go to the Bonaventure Hotel Top Five Revolving Lounge, you know, and. And I'm over there smoking my long Saratoga cigarettes and drinking my fufu drinks. And this is all over before 21, you know, and, and I don't know where I got a fake ID, but I had a fake ID. I never had any problems with getting in anywhere. And and uh, and I had a blast, man. I, I felt on top of the world just with the drink and my cigarettes. I love piano bars. I discovered that Grand Marnier comes with a little flame on the top. and And I love that illusion. You know, we we talk a lot about, you know, the disease of perception, you know, things were that you thought were happening, but they were not really happening. Um, And that's how I felt Um, through inventories. I come to find out that I always lived in a place where I wanted to be somebody that I wasn't. When I first uh, came to the United States, I thought that automatically I would turn white and blonde. And um, nobody told me that, but I, I just thought that, you know, the, the soil here was all white and, um, and that I would be white. And, and that was my biggest dream in life was to be blonde and to belong and, and, and to be this, this, you know, white person. And in my country or in my young age, I left my country when I was 10 years old. Um, I was brought up thinking that white was beautiful. Um, and so I had the idea, see full of old ideas. And so what happens to me is that I live in a la land. You know, I, I, I don't talk about anything that matters. I live a double life. I'm living poor, barely making it through, but when I'm drinking, I'm on top of the world and I'm wearing my sister's dresses and, you know, she's working at a nightclub where men came to pay to dance with women there. And all her dresses were purchased at Fredericks of Hollywood. It's like the Victoria's Secret of our time, and I'm wearing her dresses and, you know, they're like backless and low cuts and slits on the side, and the dresses were barely there, but I was there. I call them my hoochie mama, you know, days, and uh, because I look like a hoochie mama. I talk like a hoochie mama. I walk like a hoochie mama. I didn't have a car. Sometimes we took the bus. We would end up being on Sunset in Hollywood, and I know that I'm in a different state here, but... You know, anybody that's walking Sunset Boulevard at 10 o'clock at night in their hoochie mama, you know, dresses, you know, you know what they look like. And and I had a good time. In sobriety, I had to redefine what a good time was um, because I thought that that was a good time. Um, I always say, you know, I had a blast. But really, did I really have a blast? I spent all my money. I hung around with people I should have never been hanging around with. I, I used drugs, you know, I drank every day. and And towards the end, I drank in the morning as well. And I drank by myself. But um at the age of 19, I had an overdose and I quit doing drugs and I only drank and when you don't have anything to enhance your drinking, you're gonna go straight into blackouts and, and that's what happened to me. I had a lot of blackouts. We were talking about blackouts last night and and, uh, and I would come to in places I you know with people that I didn't know and and I remember being afraid, my heart beating out of my chest and and, uh, and I'm not one to call people and ask, you know, hey, you know, what did I do last night? I, I don't care what I did last night. Don't tell me what I did last night, you know? And, but I was one of those people that, that it was always, I had these lost times. And, <clears throat> or I would come home and come to at six o'clock in the morning and I'm looking at the walls and not knowing where I am, but I'm home. And the next panic is, where's my car, you know? And it was nicely parked in front of my house. You know, not a dent in it. And I have no idea how I got home. Um, a lot of stories like that. And um, at the age of 25, um, I, uh, because I continue to hang around with the same people in the same places, I picked up drugs again. You know, and, I, and I'm here to tell you that if we have any newcomers in the room, you know, there's nothing worse than to try to be sober or try not to do something and continue to hang around with the same old friends. Because I'm a believer that you know, if you go to the barber, you will eventually get a haircut. You know, if I if I hang around with ducks, I eventually quack, and that's what happened to me. I I had swore off forever. You know, I've made a solemn oath, never to touch drugs again. You know, and uh, and I did. And from the ages to 25 to 29, I hope and I pray that I have lived what I call my bottom. You know, um, we talk a lot about bottoms here in AA. You know people have low bottoms people go to jail people go to institutions people live on the streets you know <clears throat> and i'm a firm believer that you know a bottom is a bottom when you say it is you know for a long time when i came to aa i thought that i was better than you guys because i haven't been to jail yet and because i haven't been in institutions yet and i had all the differences right i came and i noticed the differences between you and me and, and we're supposed to come here and try to identify a little bit with what the people are are sharing you know and and uh, and I remember just thinking that my case was different that I was a little better than you guys but in reality I lost everything that's decent about me you know through drinking i I don't remember ever since I started, I, so I used to think that I was a social drinker, that I had this little, you know, couple of years of social drinking, but through inventories, I, I really come to find out that I never really was a social drinker. I, I love, I, I drank for the effect produced by alcohol. I mean, my first drunk was out of a bottle at 730 in the morning, my buddy, my, with my buddy Alex, you know, that was my very first drunk. You know, maybe not my first drink because I I know that I've had drinks before that, but that was my real first drunk that I market. Um, But um, I I drank and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I drank for oblivion. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to get there. (laughs) Get there could be four drinks, six drinks, eight drinks. And then after that, you know, who cares? (laughs) Because you're way past there. And um, it, it wasn't that I meant to like drink to to pass out i didn't feel terrible i i did it wasn't like i wanted to forget anything i just partied and my body reacted differently to the alcohol i pour in my body i mean it wanted more and it was willing to do whatever it took to get more um and if you would have asked me, you know, uh, social drinking, I thought social drinking because I went to nightclubs because I got dressed up because I looked at, you know, clean cut, but you know, it wasn't the same when I got back home. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't like I was coming back home, you know, all well put together, you know, um, sometimes there were parts of clothing missing, you know, a shoe missing, you know, it's, a uh, or, or the broken, I, anyway, anyway, um, I, uh, so I had to literally go back in sobriety and redefine all these terms about having fun, you know, being better than you guys, because what happened to me is that I lost all of me. I lost any any sense of pride or self-confidence or any kind of self, you know, it was like I, give, I was giving away chunks of myself a little at a time and I didn't know it. Um, I didn't have any self-worth, and the reason why I know that is because I behave like a girl that didn't have any self-worth. You know, I just, you know, I went along with the flow. And um, and in, in sobriety, with sponsorship, with step-taking, I come to know what the difference is. You know, um, when my first sponsor wanted me to change the way that I was dressing, because it was inappropriate. She said it was inappropriate the way that I dressed when I went to meetings, that it was inappropriate the way that I talked, that sober ladies with sober dignity don't behave or talk or sound that way. And she said that if I look like a lady and behave like a lady, that I was gonna be a lady. And I have never in my life heard that before. Um, You know, sponsors are in a very unique uh, space and position to talk to you. Um, I am always baffled by what we have here in AA, you know, a sponsor a sponsor. When we get our sponsors, we don't know who the hell they are. And they want us to call them every day. And I'm going, why does she want me to call her every day? What am I going to tell her? And then she wants me to talk about me and tell her things about me, you know, and then they use it against you. (laughs) Be careful, newcomers. Um, And uh, and I just, the sponsor is in such a beautiful position to teach me things. Because there was no way in the world that anybody could have told me that I was uh, dressing inappropriately in meetings. You know, you guys couldn't have told me, hey, you know, you know you're know, you dressing inappropriately. It's the sponsor. You know, it's the sponsor who's going to want to know, you know, are you working? Are you self-supporting? Are you putting money in the basket? You know, are, are you showing up to work early? All this stuff. Sometimes seemingly it seems like this is all we do here is 12 steps. But I got to tell you something, you know, I, I've i taken the 12 steps and, and it's been the most um I'm not going to say magical because taking the steps takes courage and it's been by far one of the greatest gifts uh, that you, Alcoholics Anonymous, gave my family and the relationships in my life and and in my soul and in myself, Um, but there's a lot more here than to just being sober, (laughs) you know? I mean, this is where I've learned how to show up on time and be responsible and accountable and... um, and committed a sense of commitments. I didn't come to AA knowing these these uh, words, you know. Having a sense of commitment, you know. Oh my God, I, I'm the biggest flake that there is. You know, if I made any sense of any type of commitments with you, and the time came, you know, and if it was inconvenient for me, I am not showing up. Just as simple as that. Um, so what happened is that I went down, I went down the drain rather quickly, you know, from, from having a good time and going to nightclubs and dressing nicely. I went and I shacked up with the drug dealer guy, uh, who was married, you know, he was supposed to get a divorce, never got a divorce, you know, the story. Um, and, uh, and that took me down. I mean, it took me down hard. Um, I became addicted. I became a daily drinker. I became a morning drinker. Um, I started not coming to my family gatherings, you know, uh, less and less and less, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't hang taking two beers or having to drink because I didn't know what was going to happen. I became unpredictable to myself and, uh, and I never have been unpredictable to myself. If there's anything that I always pride myself is that I was always in control, you know, that I can drink anybody under the table, that I was this, you know, and it was all in my head, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm sure I was messy, you know, but it, I always thought that I was not messy, so I wasn't messy. Do you know what I mean? It's like believing my own BS um, and that's that's who I am. And so what happened to me is that in November of 1991, my brother had gotten back from Nicaragua with some rum. I had gotten back from the Galapagos Island in Ecuador and I brought back some sugar cane homemade, pure, thick alcohol, delicious. And uh, my brother and I started drinking, and uh, my brother went to leave about 9.30. It was a Sunday. I know my days because my car drove me to different bars different days. This was a Sunday because I ended up at Steven's Steakhouse. And my brother ended up totaling his van that night, and it was a $45,000 worth of a van. We took many camping trips in that van, and when my brother took off, you know, we had been drinking since noon, and it was just him and I, I don't remember eating that day, but he hit the center divider on the freeway, hit the wall on the right, hit the center divider again, lost the wheel and ended up on the right-hand side without hitting anybody. And so my brother calls me the following day because I'm dancing, I'm still up, you know, and uh, and my brother called me up the next morning and asked me to help him go pick up the, the van. I said, sure, you know, and um, my brother had a swollen chin uh, from the wheel hitting him and the burn from the seatbelt. And uh, when we went to pick up that van, we came home with $50 in the back seat of that van. And I couldn't believe looking at the van and looking at my brother, you know, how he had walked away from it. Today, I know why he walked away from that accident. My brother got sentenced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, by this time, I'm, I'm definitely uh, in the bottom of bottoms. I have lost any decent job I've ever had in my life. And I was working in downtown LA, you know, my sisters in those nightclubs where men come to pay and dance with the girls. My job was during the day, hiring the women that work there at night. And it's, to, they're terrible places. You know, the carpet sticks to your feet and the fine smell of pine sole is in the air and uh, they're still there, uh, hill and uh, it's on Hill and 8th. You know, I call it the dungeon, it's underground. And, um, and that's where I was my last three years uh, of drinking. And uh, my brother calls me up after his uh, first AA meeting, and you know he's telling me how these people are crazy, and how he's not going to stay, and he's looking for somebody to, you know, you know, send with the court card that he's willing to pay me if I'm interested. I have no idea what my brother is talking about, but my brother tells me the story because I don't remember having this conversation with him. But he he tells me the story that I told him that I had heard Alcoholics Anonymous worked. And I don't know where I would hear that Alcoholics Anonymous worked. I've never been to a meeting in my life. All I have read is my name is Alice and Sarah T from junior high. And um, my brother t- told me that um, I reminded him that he was always walking around the house saying he was the drunk, because that's true. My brother always walked around saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic, you know, when he was drinking. And and he told me that I had reminded him of all of this and um, and that he ended up going to his second and third meeting. And by the third meeting, you had him. And my brother became your biggest cheerleader and he couldn't wait to tell us all about it there is five girls one guy you know i'm the i'm the youngest of seven <clears throat> and um my brother promptly came and brought us all big books <laughs> of alcoholics anonymous he passed it out like it was candy you know and and uh and then he started talking about god you know and he was all lit up you know god this and got that and god god we're catholics you know we know god you know me we go to Palm Sunday, you know, once a year. We we know God, you know, and and uh, he's all the year yapping about God and, and that he had found God and and so we used to make fun of him, you know, as you do. And we started calling him Brother Mario. And uh, my brother would go to his morning attitude adjustment meeting, and he would call me up in the morning. And I'd like to say that you know seconds and inches here. If I I've been a bookkeeper by trade, you know, for a long time. And if I would have been working at any anywhere else, you know, as a bookkeeper, anywhere else, I probably wouldn't have been able to answer my brother's phone calls. But I was at this looser job that all I did was answer the phones, you know, and my brother would call me after his morning attitude adjustment meeting and talk about you and tell me about you and and tell me why he drank and the blackouts and how he felt. And and he just started, you know, talking about, you know, the way that I felt. And I wanted to tell my brother, you know, I wanted to let him know where I was, that I was sucked up with this guy that I didn't even like, you know, the guy could not even dance. I mean, (laughs) um, I wanted to tell him that I wanted to tell him that I was drinking every day, drinking in the morning and the words don't come out because I'm not used to sharing with anybody my dirty laundry. You know, I I am not used to sharing anything that, uh, that matters. You know, everything is very superficial in my life. I have no sense of intimacy with anybody. And my brothers just call me every day. And he was talking the language of the heart, you know, and and belongs to me, he was planting the seed and it belongs to him too because he had no idea he was 12 stepping me. He was just being a typical newcomer, you know how we are. We get a little annoying, you know, it's like, you know, hey, 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 God, hey, hey, God, you know, and, uh, and because we want to get everybody sober. I mean, come on, I mean, this is a, this is something that everybody should know about right. And, um, and so what happened is that he took a trip and he, when he took a trip, he said, you know, you, I hope you go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're gonna love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember thinking, why would he be saying that I would love AA? I mean, to me, that sounded odd, like another cuckoo thing about him. And my brother took off and I ended up missing hearing about you. And um, it didn't come in the, in the way of, oh God, I miss hearing about AA. It just came in a form of a void You know how when you stop going to meetings and I don't know if anybody here has that experience of like not going to meetings and you feel that void or when you stop praying or you stop reading something spiritual and then all of a sudden you catch yourself and there's a void you know I I had a void you know and I remember what he said that you know to go to a meeting of AA and I don't know how I got to my first meeting Um, I don't know if I called 411 the yellow pages I don't know but I got to my first meeting it was on a Tuesday night, a second chance meeting in Downey, and uh, and I waited until your meeting was over because it was across the street from a bar I used to drink at, and I, I don't know. I I don't know what I thought. I thought the people would be at the bar waiting for Rosie to go into a meeting of AA to talk about me. I don't know what I thought, but I was embarrassed, you know, and, and, uh, and mind you that I'm a peer and a puker. I pee all over the place anytime, anywhere, and here I am embarrassed to walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and... And uh, I remember waiting for the meeting to be over. And I walked over to where the literature table was. My brother told me to pick up a directory. A directory is where all the meetings listings are. And I took one look around and there were these beautiful ladies with nice jewelry and beehive hairdos. And um, I walked in there with my black leather miniskirt, skirt, my high thigh boots, my little tube top. I'm 165 pounds worth of bloke because I've been drinking everything under the moon beer back. And when you drink beer 24 seven, you're going to be a little chunky. You know what I mean? And, and I was chunky. I had no neck the, my neck was touching my boobs and I looked like a bullfrog, you know, it was just nothing there. And I was all bloat. I have no toenails due to malnutrition. And this is way before acrylics. And, uh, I was a mess. I was a mess, but I remember I was going to go dancing. Cause that's what you do when your life is a mess. You know, you go gamble, you go dancing, you go on a shopping spree when your life is going down the drain. I don't know about you, but that's what I do. And uh, and so that, that day, I remember taking one look around and I felt, you know, God, I'm not going to fit here either. And I, I picked up a directory. I tried to give her $5 because I knew you poor people needed the money, you know, with all my false pride and my smug, you know, looking down at Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she giggled a little and she says, honey, you can take it for free, you know? And I remember walking away with that directory and uh, uh, thinking I'm not gonna come back to that meeting because it was just a lot of light. (laughs) And and I remember looking at that directory and I waited for the following Tuesday because I thought you only met on Tuesdays. I didn't know anything. And thank God that I found a little meeting in Norwalk, which is only five minutes from Downey. It was a little biker meeting and I sat there for a minute and, this guy that was your treasurer said that he had gone to prison by his own admission. And I remember thinking, man, you guys are some kind of stupid, you know, you got the guy that went to prison, taking your money, you know? And I remember I storing that I'm like, wow, your people are weird. And then somebody made me a coffee maker. And I remember thinking, you know what, you guys need my help. And, uh, it doesn't matter why you're here. You know, I came in thinking that you were keeping my brother sober and the least I can do is come and help you pour people out. And, um, and I stayed. And I have stayed ever since. I don't have relapse in my story. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and I don't have relapse in my story, not because I planned it or because I meant it or, or because I'm doing something different than what you're doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm here because but for the grace of a loving God. Nothing else. I didn't do anything for a few months in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, and I just sat there. You know, I, I did a little bit of work. You discovered that I was a bootkeeper. You made me your secretary. I intuitively knew you wanted me to audit the guy that had been to prison that was still your treasure. And I started recounting his receipts and looking at his books and looking at the basket. And in my head, I'm thinking, you're keeping my brother sober. The least I can do is I'm going to watch your money. And just crazy, you know, and, and I know that I didn't need a sponsor because my case is different than yours. You know, it's obvious that I know more. You know, I mean, when you have the treasure guy take, you know what I mean? I know more. And I remember just, you know, loving the AA meetings, loving the horror stories. Um, but in my head, you know, I didn't really need help. And um, God has been very gracious in my life. Um, very Graceful, um, an undeserved gift is what I have received. Um, about nine months of being dry in that meeting, God disguised himself as a cute boy. You know what I mean? I don't know if you have in Mississippi there, Candace, but you know, this was a cute boy, you know, and uh, and he invites me to go play volleyball at the Lakewood speaker meeting. I've never been to a speaker meeting in my life. And uh, I swear to God, I only wanted to go play volleyball I'm nine months dry. I've lost my bloat. My, I'm wearing my little hot short shorts. My neck is out. I'm ready to go play volleyball. You know what I mean? I'm just ready to go play some volleyball. And I had to stay for the speaker meeting because if you didn't stay, you look bad. I don't like looking bad. So I would stay for the meeting. And, and once in a while, I would bring cookies and, you know, to make you see that I was a member, you know, and and it was in that meeting, not long after that, that I met Betty Garcia and she was to be Come my first sponsor and, and my life has never been the same since. This lady invited me to her home group, the Torrens Lomita Alano Club. And uh, this was on a Thursday night and Saturday morning, I'm sitting next to Betty and and uh, she absolutely took me to a rigorous uh, plan of action. She gave me a commitment that day. She said, we need a literature person. And I said, Betty, I, I live in Downey. This is Torrens. It's only a 20 minute drive. but." I said, you know, I, I can't drive 20 minutes, you know, I have an old beat up car. And she laughed out loud at me and gave me the keys to the locker. And, uh, and I'm thinking, what, this lady didn't hear me or what, you know, and I'm so grateful that I'm naive enough that I don't tell her to keep the keys and shove it up, you know, that I don't leave the keys at the bar of that Alano club, that I take the keys and don't come back. I came back, you gave me a commitment and I've always been a commitment oriented person, even before AA, you know, like I always showed up to work, <laughs> you know, um, and um, I came and I was their uh, literature person for two years, you know, and and Betty started teaching me about the, the spiritual tool of service, you know and uh, I didn't understand it for a long time, but I can tell you that I still have uh, commitments in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous via zoom. I find something to do. Uh, And that has served me well, you know, 27 years later. And um, this lady the following Saturday asked me if I've ever done an inventory and I told her I didn't know what that was. And she got all excited. She started, you know, reading the big book out loud to me, you know, uh, we used to sit at a bench after the Saturday morning meeting, and she would read the big book to me. And I remember thinking this lady must think I can't read why is she reading it to me? And then she repeats herself. She's like, you know, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all your troubles. And she'd stare at me like for 30 seconds. And I remember sitting down and thinking, man, this, this lady's crazy. You know, I mean, who reads like that? And, um, thank God that I didn't say anything. You know, I was yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, she went, wanted me to throw away all those, my hoochie mama, you know, dresses and, uh, I my repeat offender, you know, I would keep secrets and then I would have to tell her about it. And I did that. And I started writing an inventory and she wanted my resentment, my fear, my sex and my secrets. And I got to tell you that I had a lot of secrets. You know, it wasn't the money that I had embezzled that kept me apart from you guys, but it was the little nickel and dime stuff between my head. It was all the things that I thought I was that I really wasn't, but I thought I was. And, and I don't know about you, but my thinking can literally keep me in bondage of self, just my thinking, you know, I mean, it's like, I don't even have to act on it. But if this is, if this is on one of those, you know, obsessions, obsessions of the mind, you know, it's absolutely awful. And, uh, and so and she wanted my secrets, you know, and then secrets, it's all everything in your head, you know, I mean, this is you you got to spit that stuff out, you know, so it doesn't grow inside your brain. You have to let that go. You have to let it go. You have to talk about this. And um, and so I gave her everything, you know, I gave her everything I had. And it was such a beautiful experience for me. Not not that I was walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe as I gave her my fifth step. I mean, I wanted to vomit. I mean, I. I have never been, you know, rigorously, honestly with any, honest with anybody. Not even the priest. I mean, it, never, you know. And I told this lady everything that I had in me, and and I remember thinking, this is why my brother came and gave us all big books. You know, I mean, I remember thinking that. You know, she told me to do a six and a seven step, and when I got up from my knees after, you know, saying that prayer or the seven step prayer, I remember thinking that I was uh, floating. I, I wanted to be the next Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I wanted to go save the world. I wanted to tell everybody about Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and, and uh, that lasted for about a week. <laughs> and the following Saturday, she's asking me to make a list of the people that are harmed, and we're going to go make amends to them. And, you know, I gave her my list, and she says, hey, where's that guy that you messled seven grand from? And I'm going, what? She says, yeah, you told me that you had stolen $7,000 and I know the amount because I filed taxes on that money. Don't judge me. And, um, and I remember thinking what this crazy this lady's crazy she wants me to what make amends for that or, you know, I'm driving this 10 year old beat up Mazda GLC that used to fart and smoke at every corner, you know, and you guys have given me a, an H&I panel in Skid Row, and I'm driving from Downey to Fifth and Central in Skid Row, and, and on top of that, she wants me to go pay this money, man, she's whacked, and I went to my Downey meetings, and I started checking her suggestion with old timers there, and um, and what happened was that nobody told me not to do it, you know, That the, the old timers I went to, they said, you know, you need to start trusting somebody, and a sponsor is a good way to begin, you know, and, and nobody really endorsed my crap. And, you know, I came back, I finally made the appointment to go see my ex-employer. And I told him that I had, you know, under prayer, my sponsor had called me that morning and my sister came out of her room and she said, you know, I'm a hundred percent behind you. She had no idea what I was doing. She thought it was like petty cash. And um, I, I was trembling. I, you know, I gotta tell you that it sounds very easy via Zoom, you know, 25 years later, but I was just freaked out. I thought I was going to go to jail. And, um, and, you know, I got $350 down payment and a payment plan like Betty instructed me to do. Uh, I had bargained with God already. I had fed the homeless waiting for a sign. And and um, I finally, you know, faced uh, that ex-employer of mine. And, you know, when I take out the cash and my legs are trembling, I'm crying. And he looks at the cash, he goes, what are you doing? I says, where well, these people in AA are telling me that if I don't pay my debts, I'm gonna get drunk. And I found out for the first time in my life, I heard myself out loud say, and I don't wanna drink again. And for me, I, I was coming to believe to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic for the first time in my sobriety. So for me, it takes a little bit of action for me to, to, to consume that, that idea that I need to con, concede to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic. For me, it took work. I didn't just come here and say that I was an alcoholic and I and I knew that I was an alcoholic of your type. Um, It it took work. And um, and I remember that he looked at the money, says, I can't take the money. You out of anybody knows how many times my kids have broken into my own home and they've never sat me down to tell me the truth. You know, why don't you take that money and put it to good use to those people in Alcoholics Anonymous? And I would like to take, you know, a big book for my wife, you know, and you and I can work something out in form of work. And, and I know this doesn't mean anything to anybody here but me, but I was able to show up to the same company, the same building, same office to close his books out for him for the following couple of years in my time off, you know, free uh, to try to repay a debt, you know, and, and a lot more than a financial debt. I, I was also putting myself back together. And, and that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of action, not just because we come to AA that we get, you know, made whole, you know there's a lot of restitution you know we are not here because we had a little glass of wine and um i flew to florida to make amends to a niece that she's always you know uh, i was very mean to her when we were growing up and i forgot some stuff in my uh, amends and at the end of each amends my sponsor tells me that i need to ask if i've left anything out and this young lady went to town with me you know and then everything she said i had done i just didn't remember it at the time that i did my inventory and you know jackie said i don't care that you're sober you know get out and um and so my sponsors started teaching me how to make living amends you know sending the cards the birthday cards christmas cards little gifts for her kids you know and and that that put me in a position with the family um to become whole to become believable to become trustworthy i'm the youngest and yet i am I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I am the most respected one, but I can tell you that my sisters call me to, you know, run things by me, you know, and I can't even fathom that, you know, when, by the time my mom passed away, you know, I was the only one that she had shared exactly what her wishes were the youngest one, you know, um, I've become trustworthy here. I've become a family member in good standing and, and, and also active. My nieces know where I'm at. My nieces know of my life, you know. My great grandnieces know who I am, you know. And and I love that that Alcoholics Anonymous have not only given me and enriched my life, but you've enriched every single life that I've touched, and and that's precious. It's a precious gift that I only hope to to continue to pass along. You know, um, I've made several amends. I had a lot of financial amends to make. I met my husbands in my husbands my husband. I've only been married once in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous 24 years ago, this past December 5th. And he called me the very next day and he's been calling me every day since. You know, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. He's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He, What we have here in our home is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can describe to you, I, I, I feel very grateful and very um, gifted with everything that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me in my life. Um, I wouldn't have it any other day, any other way. I can tell you that I've been through a lot in sobriety, um, as you've heard me in the beginning of my talk, but I wouldn't trade anything you know, different in Alcoholics Anonymous. The only thing that I can tell you is that if you found what I have found, don't keep it to yourself. This is something that we must tell somebody else what has happened to us, because it's a gift that keeps giving and uh, I'm gonna continue to keep coming back. I wanna thank everybody for listening. I hope you have a good night and a Merry Christmas. I don't know how joyful it's gonna be, but if we're safe and we're sober, we have an opportunity to do it again next year. I love you guys. Thank you.